opportunity to publicly thank those who have served this week. I know as I look out on this room, for you particular individuals here who have received from those who are serving in various ways, that there are people that you want to go to and make your way personally to them and personally thank them for their hard work, their investment, and their love for God, which is an encouragement and an example to all of us. So before you leave today, whether or not we have the chance to thank them publicly, make your way to, to one or two of those who have been serving this week and just thank them. Tell them how much you've been blessed by that. Well, I have the privilege of speaking to you this morning just before we pack up and go home today. On the coattails of last night's message on idols and the moving ministry time that we experienced, I'm, I'm well aware that we're facing many live and fresh opportunities to live out commitments that we made this week to the Lord. Similar to the Thessalonians, as they had to exist in an idol-filled environment, we too are facing, when we get in our vehicles and go home today, we're facing an idol-saturated environment. Not only do we live in a world like that, but there have been idols in our own lives, as we expressed last night, as we made some fresh commitments to the Lord, and now we steer, stare real life in the face again as we prepare to leave. So I, I believe that my preaching assignment, which I, I'm humbly stepping into this morning, is, is timed very well. It's timed very well and that it gives us a place and provides us a target to which we can set our eyes on as we return home. My, my hope is that this message will serve as a focal point for us as you prepare to say goodbye to this week and say, I'm back <laughs> to life as usual. So let me start by just asking a few questions this morning. First question is this, do you ever think about heaven? Do you ever consider what heaven will be like for those of you who have trusted Jesus? As you think about heaven, have you ever considered what it will be like? When, when you think of heaven, what kinds of thoughts does heaven stir up in you? Does it excite you? Does it, does it scare you a little? I think for some of us, it's, it could be a reality that it's, it's actually a scary thought to think about heaven and eternity, something that doesn't have an end. That's unfamiliar to everything we experience in this world. When you think about heaven, does it sound boring? Does the picture of heaven you get, does it sound like something that's just not really fun or exciting or enjoyable at all? Or some of you may be saying, heaven sounds great, but not yet, please. There are too many things in life I want to experience yet. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis that I'm going to share. It's rather deep, and I, I usually don't start out this deep. <laughs> I usually allow people to, to, to get a moment um, to, to track with me, but I'm going to ask you to turn on your brains right here at the start and follow this quote with me because it's very compelling. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven. But more often, I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts, we have ever desired anything else. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it. Tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. 
But if if it should ever really become manifest, if there ever came an echo that did not die away, but swelled into sound itself, you would know it. Beyond all possibility of doubt, you would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. We all know what it's like to wait for something. Now, now there's a difference between waiting. I'm not talking about the kind of waiting where you're, you're bored. It's just kind of a, a, a doldrum experience. You're just kind of patiently waiting for something. I'm not talking about that kind of waiting, but what I'm talking about is the kind of waiting that is characterized by waiting with anticipation. This, this kind of waiting, it's full of expectation. Not, not sitting back in your seat with your hands folded waiting for something, but, but leaning forward in your seat with, with eyes wide open. Leaning forward, anticipating, expecting. Maybe, maybe it even is characterized by making your heart beat a little faster, giving you butterflies as you think and expect and anticipate. Maybe even you work to prepare for that thing. Your, your hands get dirty with excitement, getting ready, getting prepared for that thing you're waiting for. A few years ago, my, my family and I had the privilege of living and ministering in the Bahamas. And I know in this moment you feel very sorry for us um, going to an island, beautiful island country, and that it was. It was a beautiful place. Um, it wasn't always easy, however. My three girls, my three daughters are sitting here this morning. They can attest to the fact that living in a different country is very difficult in many ways. So the fact that we lived in a different country, having visitors was exciting. The fact that the Bahamas, the island we lived on, was an island. It made it impossible for people, for visitors, to actually get in their car and drive to us. It made it impossible for them to do that. So they really had no choice. If, if they were going to come visit the Bunting family, they had to actually board a plane, come see us. So this was an event. Preparing for visitors was an event. At one point, I received word that my parents, who at that time were actually in their 70s, that they were going to come and visit us. Now, this was no small thing for a 70-some-year-old couple. So during the weeks leading up to their visit, the house was buzzing with preparation. Our, our girls were preparing. We were, we were thinking what we were going to eat, all the sights on the island we were going to show them. There was, there was a lot of buzz of activity and conversations of what it would be like to have grandma and grandpa come visit us in the islands. The buzz heightened as their arrival drew closer. And I remember on the day that they were set to arrive, I was on my way to the airport with eyes wide open, with, with butterflies, with a heart that was beating a little bit faster. I couldn't believe that my 70-some-year-old parents were coming to visit me and to visit our family in this island. As I, as I got to the airport, I think I was an hour early. It was ridiculous, thinking the plane would somehow like, get there faster than it was set to get there. And I was, I was just circling and circling around the, the airport complex to see if they, would, if they had come out the doors yet with all their luggage. And, and so I circled and circled every time I came around, disappointed that they were not there yet. Well, finally, there was that time when I rounded the corner and there were my mom and dad with the biggest smiles I ever remember them having. Luggage in hand, I couldn't get the van in park fast enough to go run and meet them, greet them, and help them into the van and get them home. I think we all know what I'm referring to when I say waiting, but not just waiting, waiting with anticipation. 
So go ahead and turn with me, if you will, this morning to First Thessalonians. You've been, you've been hearing this week all about the Thessalonians, and, and there's much to admire about this group of New Testament Christians. And I'm not going to go into all the details because we've, we've received a pretty hefty and a pretty full picture of what has been going on in the Thessalonian church. So I'm not going to go back through and give you that context again, although we will read our full passage again in a moment. But now, what I want to draw our attention to in this morning's verse, we see evidence that these Thessalonians, whom we've seen some wonderful things about, these ones who, who have experienced a work of faith, they're, they're throwing themselves into a labor of love, a steadfast hope in Jesus Christ. They've, they've turned from idols and they're now serving God. These, these Thessalonians, now we see a picture that they are also waiting with anticipation. They're waiting rightly for the second coming of Jesus. Their waiting should inform, inform our thinking this morning. So let's read together our verse this morning to help us, again, with context. Let's go ahead and read verses 2 through 10. And you can follow along as I read. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And this is our verse we'll be focusing on this morning. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we pray this morning that you would call us to attention in our minds, Lord, in our thoughts, in our hearts. Lord, while we are physically tired this morning, I pray that you would give us the gift of alertness to be able to focus on, give attention to your word this morning. I pray for help this morning, Lord, as I deliver this message that your spirit would, would help me and that you would communicate truths in this moment for this time and for these people that will be lasting. So I look to you now in Jesus' name, amen. We said a moment ago that the, the Thessalonians were waiting with anticipation for the second coming of Jesus, and, and this is commendable behavior. We, we see evidence of this not only in verse 10, but in several places throughout the Thessalonians, actually five times in this first letter to the Thessalonians. We see evidence that they are waiting for the second coming of Christ. 
And again, but, but what we get here is not just that they are passively waiting. They're waiting with anticipation. They're waiting with anticipation for someone. There is an object to their and our waiting, far better than any parents coming to visit me in the Bahamas, far, far better than anything in this life that at this moment has your attention or anything that you would identify in your life that you're waiting or longing for. This object of heaven, this son of heaven, as verse 10 puts it, is who we as believers are waiting for. This son has a name, the son of heaven. His, his name is Jesus, the resurrected one through whom deliverance from wrath has come. I believe as you study verse 10, it can be summed up by saying, Jesus, the object of our waiting is worth waiting for. And we're going to look at two main thoughts this morning. The first main thought is this. Jesus is coming. It's true. Jesus is coming it's true. If there's an object to our waiting, we just said there's an, there's an object to our anticipation, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one who, who brought the gospel. We hear that word a lot. Basically, the good news about the love of the Heavenly Father, Jesus, as he entered this world, brought that word with him. In fact, he was himself that word. He brought it in his very being, in his very person, he then defeated sin and death, and, and our verse says that he is the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's the one we're referring to this morning who is coming back. That said, we're not waiting in vain. He is coming back. The Bible tells us he is. We, we don't know the exact time. We don't know the exact day. We don't know the month. We don't know the year, but we know this. It's true. Jesus is coming back. A few chapters later from our chapter in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4, we read this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and, this, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet him in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I would ask you this morning, do you, knowing that Jesus is coming back, do you care? Should you care? I assure you that the world does not care that Jesus is coming back. Jesus, this one who Evan portrayed very well the other night, who, who sits off in the corner as long as he's safe over in the corner, not interfering with our lives, we're just fine with him being over there. That's the world's view of Jesus. How is the world then thinking about the second coming of Jesus? Do they care? What makes us different? As believers this morning, if the world doesn't care that Jesus is coming back, how should we be thinking about the second coming of Jesus? John Piper says this, the second coming of Jesus is the completion of his saving work. If you take it away, the whole fabric of his saving work unravels. 
Now, I'd remind you again of my series of questions I asked at the beginning. Do you ever think about heaven and eternity? Do we, do we not think that some thought for the believer, some thought for the Christian should be given to the second coming of Jesus? Do, you, do we not agree that on some level we, we ought to have some consideration, some category for the significance and the importance of this event as Jesus comes back? I fear that many of us rarely think about it. First John tells us that the world, this world that we live in, is passing away along with its desires. Everything worldly is going to pass away. It's, it's fading. It's fleeting. It's, it's coming to an end. A big live topic in my house right now is um, whether an iPhone 6 is better than a Samsung Galaxy S7. It's a, it's a live issue, and we, we're constantly talking about it. My girls are arguing over which one's better. Whether you drive a Nissan or drive a Toyota or whether, whether you wear this to school tomorrow or whether you wear that to school tomorrow, these decisions are, are they're just passing away right along with this world. These are momentary things that we experience in the, the here and now, and, and those are just some of the trivial, even some of the bigger considerations, the bigger decisions we're, we're making in life. Where we're going to go to college, where, where we're going to land in our careers, and, and even some of these bigger life decisions that are important. We want to honor God with them. We certainly want to give weight and attention to them. But even those decisions, they're, they're the here and now. They're, they're taking place in this world that's, that's passing away, that's temporal. When Jesus comes back and, and the rest of eternity, the remainder of eternity starts, these things won't matter one bit. And as, as central and as pivotal as these choices might seem right now, they don't shape our ultimate existence. Now, the world makes much of them because it's all they have. If you're, if you're not a believer, if you're, if you're in the world, those decisions, those choices, that's all you have to hold on to. So they're everything to you but I have a concern for us as believers this morning. Should we hold on to those things in the same way that the world does? Or should we be different? Should our, our thoughts and our eyes and our time, should those things be set on something bigger, on something lasting, on something that far goes beyond the borders of this moment? something that should grab our full attention. Also, along with these worldly things that are passing away, verse 10 tells us that wrath is coming. Now, let us sober ourselves for a moment here. When we, when we hear the word wrath in Scripture, judgment, this is a sober thing to consider. This is judgment from a holy God who demands holiness, who, who demands law-abiding from his creation. And as most of you know, his creation, we, we turned from him and chose to go against God's holy law. So, so God sent Jesus to make atonement for sin for those of us who believe, for those of us who trust him. But for the one who, who does not believe the message about Christ and put their ultimate trust in him to save them from their sins, this wrath, this judgment is something to be feared. This punishment for sin is something to be sobered by. It's not an if question whether or not this will occur. It's a when question. And this judgment is eternal. It's, it's not going to last a week. 
this separation from God, this, this wrath, this judgment, it's not going to last just a week, a month, even a lifetime or a thousand lifetimes. It's, it's eternal. It's eternal separation from God. This is a sobering thought. But just like the Thessalonians to the one who does believe the message about Christ and puts their ultimate trust in him to save them from their sins, deliverance is what we wait for. Okay, deliverance from what? I, I like my life, I'm, I'm comfortable, things are generally okay, or I have a lot to look forward to. I don't necessarily wanna be delivered from something I don't even know how it's gonna turn out yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to these things in my future. So deliverance from what? Well, this deliverance we're speaking here is deliverance from eternal judgment. This is the good news about Jesus Christ. This is the news that the Thessalonians had, had received and believed and really staked their lives on. For you and I, if you're a Christian this morning, this is the gospel. Again, we hear that word a lot, but let it saturate us again this morning. And, and though it's, it's in converse to the bad news that we heard a moment ago that, that judgment is coming for sin, let us receive this, this good news that this deliverance from this wrath is also eternal. It's not a week, not a month, a lifetime or a thousand lifetimes. This, this deliverance from this wrath, it's eternal. It will never end. That alone should bring hope and joy to the one this morning who has trusted Christ that there is deliverance from eternal judgment and it will be eternal. And we're gonna talk about more what that deliverance is this morning. But just for now, realize that, that there is an eternity out there, this deliverance from God's wrath. And this, this is good news for believer this morning. For, for those who haven't trusted Christ, it's sobering news. For those who have trusted Christ, it's the best news. The verse we just read a moment, or the passage we just read a moment ago said, a trumpet will sound. Now, does anybody play the trumpet in here this morning? Okay, we've got a trumpet player back here. I'm sure you're very good. However, this trumpet that we're going to experience in 1 Thessalonians 4 is going to be the sound of a trumpet that you have never even conceived of. If you're a Christian, you'll hear the sound. Those who have already died, they'll be taken up first. Those who are alive will be taken second. We will be caught up together to meet him in the air. Thessalonians tells us that we'll be taken up into clouds. Now, this is not just a reference to the big billowy white things that, that we see in the sky, but these clouds are the evidence, the surrounding of the glory of Christ. Those who belong to him will, will be taken up dead first, alive second, into the clouds, into his glory to do what? To meet the Lord. Friends, this will be no ordinary ho-hum day. Imagine the best day in your life that you have experienced yet to this point. I mean, from the time you woke up to the time you went to bed, it was just a good day. You, you fully enjoyed that day. Now imagine this day when you are taken up and you will be introduced face to face to your very Savior. What an introduction. What a day. And look what comes after that. We said a few moments ago that this deliverance is eternal. Not all are, are we delivered from something or out of something, but we're delivered to something. The passage we read here in, in chapter four, 
It says we will, we will always be with the Lord. Now, not only is there a heaven to which we are going dis- disconnected from a person, it's not just a, a place we go that's, that's full of joy, although it is that, but it's connected to a person. You can't think of heaven without the person. No, our, our deliverance is to heaven, to Jesus eternally. It's not simply a place we go and we die. Heaven is the place where God will dwell with his people. Jesus said, in my house, that's in, in my paradise, in, in my heaven, there are many rooms, Jesus said in the Gospel of John. It's, it's a glorious, eternal home where, where we're free from, from all sin, all pain, all suffering. Not only the suffering that you hear about in this world that just exists worldwide, and there's a lot to be concerned about right now, from, from terrorism to who's going to be our next president, to all, all kinds of things that we could, we could be considering that as we look into the future, it seems hazy and a a bit scary as we think about what what could be happening sin-wise. But imagine now a place, a world, where none of that exists whatsoever. Now, that's that's out there, but even think of your own life. Think of your your own sin, some of these idols last night that that we turned away from. To be free from that struggle altogether. No more temptation. No more idols. To take it a step further, some of you this morning have been recipients of someone else's sin. You've you've been in the experience seat of sin. Some of you may have come from broken homes. This has had an effect on on your soul. Some of you have been maybe bullied in school Some of you may be feeling on the fringe or not accepted. Some of you have all manner of temptations and and struggles of other people's sin and you receiving the bad part of that sin. Imagine a world where, and a place where none of that exists whatsoever, but we are completely free from all sin, all suffering, Everything in this world that's good will be magnified and right. Everything in this world that's, that's bad, the suffering, the sin, will be done away with, wiped out, and a new and perfect earth will be created for us. Randy Alcorn says, the heaven Jesus described is not an ethereal realm of disembodied spirits. A place is by nature physical, just as human beings are by nature physical as well as spiritual what we are suited for, what what we've been specifically designed for is the place God originally made for us, earth. So scripture tells us that we'll be looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, this this home of righteousness. God God has not abandoned his original design to to create a a place and a plan for humanity to rule the earth for his glory. One day he will reverse the curse and restore what was corrupted by sin. He will come down and and dwell with his people on this this new earth, bringing his throne and heaven itself with him. It's an unspeakable sight. Not just the surroundings, but, but because God will dwell there. Jesus is primary and everything else is is secondary. Unspeakable joy is, is the atmosphere and God's goodness is around every corner and Jesus' presence is there. Living with our precious Savior will be 
would be mind-blowing. Randy Alcorn continues to say, for the Christian, death is not the end of an adventure, but a doorway from a world where dreams and adventures shrink to a world where dreams and adventures forever expand. And Jesus is, is the main character of the story. He is the main object of heaven. All right, so why does all this matter? You say to me, that's great, but again, I've got a lot to look forward to in this life. I have a lot to look forward to before I can think too much about heaven. Why should I care so much right now? In our, in our present culture, we're marked by a desire for, for instant gratification. We've been hearing about that some this week, haven't we? we we've talked about social media and, um, and uh, different, different avenues there many times this week through Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Kick, YouTube, whatever they are. I'm old, so I've, I've run out. That's my t- entire list of social media. Hopefully, you're not hearing this week that, that these things are intrinsically evil, but they do give definition to our culture and they warrant our attention and how much attention we give to them. We, you and I, live in a minute-to-minute existence. That's just the way it is. We, we love, this culture loves to regularly expose itself to instant information in, in, in a minute-by-minute existence. It, it floods our thoughts. It, it floods our lives. It floods our souls. The here and now has grabbed our attention by, by status updates. We've got to see what's next, the one-liners and the hooks that, that keep coming our way. It's just wave after wave, flood after flood of information. And we've left little room, I fear, in our hearts and in our souls to contemplate anything lasting. It's like living in a blinding rainstorm of, of bite-sized pieces just coming at you all the time, just pelleting your front windshield of your car. Well, how stark a contrast that lifestyle is from the longing that we see described in the Thessalonians. Here we see a longing for something that's outside the momentary. We remember that there is an existence beyond just what we see around us. Thessalonians reminds us that there's, there's a future not defined by only time and space, but, but it's eternal, defined not simply but what, but what will take place over the next year or the next 10 years or the next several billion years. It's something that will take place beyond. As hard as that may be to think about this, it's it's actually mind-blowing sometimes. It hurts my head to think about eternity because we can't define it. Our, our human finite minds can't even conceive of it. As difficult as it may be to think about this, doesn't eternity warrant our attention knowing how small this life is? Scripture says that life is really just a vapor. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. When I was 10, I I remember just waiting until I could drive. When I was 16, I remember just waiting for high school graduation. When I was 22, I remember just waiting to get settled into my job or my life, and and on and on and on the waiting goes. Now I'm 44, and I don't know if others who are 44 and are close to me, (laughs) I don't know how old you are, but for for those that are around my age, and I say around my age, I'm going to say within 15 years of my age, either direction, we're running out of things to wait for, aren't we? 
all on this world anyway, all, all this is going to pass away, literally burn up. No, my friends, we, we live for what's beyond. I think the older I get, the more I realize how much I'm waiting for something that's just not in this life. All the longings, all the, all the inner turmoil, the longings that are inside my heart as I look towards things in this life, in this earth, in this world that could possibly satisfy me, I'm realizing that I will never find them in this lifetime. Now, my friends, what we're living for is beyond. So what have you been holding on to more tightly than Jesus? And as you wrestled with some of these questions last night with idols, I would ask you again, as you prepare to leave today, what has had your full attention What has had a grip on your thoughts, on your time, on your souls? And as you continue to to wrestle with those things, as you prepare to go home this morning, just want to deposit this into into your life this morning. Anything other than Jesus in eternity is passing away. Anticipating this eternal joy found in God's presence allows us to get a head start on heaven by rejoicing in Jesus here and now. So that brings us to our, our second point this morning. This one's a bit, a bit shorter, so stay with me here. Jesus is coming. Be prepared. Jesus is coming. Be prepared. So, so what does it mean to, to be prepared for the second coming of Jesus? We've already heard that Jesus is indeed coming. It's true. It's something that, that we know is true. So now what does it mean for us to live in such a way that we are prepared for this event? I'm going to ask you um, to look at your notes, and let's, let's look briefly at chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at verses 4 to 11. Stay with me as I read. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath. We see the connection in that verse to the verse we're looking at this morning. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So to ask the question again, what does it mean to live in such a way that we have eternity in view? What does it mean to prepare for eternity? Well, we already said we, we wait with anticipation, but we don't only wait with anticipation. I think there's some things that are practical that we can bring into the mix that help us wait. They help us wait actively. This waiting requires some action. The first verse of the passage I just read paints a picture of, I mean, of the one I read a couple minutes ago. It, it paints a picture of the day that Jesus will come back. And it says he's going to surprise us like a thief. Now, a thief doesn't stick a note on your mailbox saying, hey, I'll be there at 3 a.m. to come and rob you blind. He doesn't, he doesn't ring the doorbell first to see if you're home 
before he wipes you out. Instead, a thief is, is unexpected. He could come at any time. So we live prepared for burglary, right? We put locks on our doors. We keep an eye on things. We, we kind of know when something's missing. We look for evidence kind of regularly. Some install alarm systems on their house. We remain ready for the potential that a thief could come at any time. Well, the second coming of Jesus will not come with a warning note on the door. We don't know the day or the time. Paul is commending the Thessalonians, though, that they are prepared. And they're, they're prepared in the sense that they're living in, in stark contrast to the Gentile unbelievers of the day who were living godlessly and unprepared. Living prepared actually starts with conversion. And notice how I said starts. Living prepared for the second coming of Jesus, it starts with our conversion. When we first trust Jesus to save us, in one sense, we are now prepared for the second coming of Jesus. Our ultimate destiny will be to belong to him. But I don't believe it stops there at all. It starts with conversion, but it continues. We are to live then practically with eternity in view. A true believer, a New Testament Christian, they won't be taken off guard in a fearful way when Jesus comes back because our souls and our lives are prepared. J.L. Green says this about the await of the second coming of Jesus, serving God and holding fast to a strong end times expectation. They're not antithetical. That is, they're not in opposition to one another, but they are, they are complementary they, they hold hands. In other words, we, fo- we hold fast to what we know is true and we live and prepare as though Jesus is coming back today and we anxiously look for it. Well, in the passage we just read, we saw in verse five that we are children of the light, children of the day. Let's just take a couple minutes on this. The assumption and understanding here is that it's, it's dark during the night and light during the day. Is that new information for anyone? It's dark at night, light during the day. It's not rocket science. So in other words, those who belong to God, they're, they're not of the night or of the dark, but they are of the day. They are of the light. The dominion of sin that, that characterizes the life of the unbeliever, it should not mark us. Now, in, in the time period when, when this was written, when this letter to the Thessalonians was written, remember that there would not have been street lights or neon signs or any way to navigate your way anywhere safely or easily once the sun went down. So the culture would have been marked by kind of staying at home where it's safe. Going out for the night is a common phrase that you and I would use. It would not have been a common phrase that the Thessalonians would use. So with that in mind, for this culture, the Thessalonians would have associated going out at night with things that would be practiced outside of the will of God. They would be practiced in secret, practiced hidden. So with that in mind, the the understanding of the unbeliever, it remains darkened based on what we just read. And and these, these unbelievers, they live in darkness. We, if you're a Christian... We live in the light of holiness. We, we belong to the day. We belong to, to light. We belong to understanding. We belong to holy living. And note that this doesn't say that we're, we're perfect yet, but the counsel of Scripture helps us understand that we in general are marked by lifestyles 
that belong to the day. Let's, let's look a little further. We are, we are practicing righteousness, not sin. So for the Christian, our preparedness for the second coming of Christ, it shows up not only in the fact that we're believers, but it extends into our moral lives, thoughts, and practices. This passage says, be awake. Verse six says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake. Obviously, this does not just refer to, to physical awakeness or, or in contrast to physical grogginess or sleepiness, but it means being morally and spiritually engaged. Or if you're not morally or spiritually awake, you're not morally or spiritually engaged. Nighttime, when, when we've had a long day, it's the time when we become physically groggy. So the closer it gets to bedtime, the more groggy we become. During the day, we're marked in general by being awake, being alert, by being able to work, to think, to do, to accomplish. So I think that's the thrust of what, what Paul's getting here. Our, our souls function morally and spiritually as though it's full-on daytime. Our morality and our spiritual lives, are, they're fully awake. They're, they're fully engaged. I was in the men's meeting. I've lost track of days, whatever day that was. Was that two days ago? Yeah. And one of the things that Eric faithfully shared with, with our young men was the importance of, of reading, praying, and singing in our lives. These are just a few examples. Ta taking God's word and actually reading it. Some of you made commitments this week to spend more time reading or praying, setting aside time to actually pray. I remember a few of our, our young men saying, I wanna pray, I want, I wanna be marked as a young man of prayer. How about just coming to things? How about just church attendance? Not just on Sunday morning, but even other events as well. We're we're awake. We're not disengaged from what's going on. When Paul says, be awake, one of the opportunities we have to do that is to take every opportunity we can to grab a hold of, of attending things so that we can benefit from what's being taught. We can benefit from the fellowship that others are experiencing. We can grow. We can experience more of the life in God. This passage goes on to say that we're to be alert and self-controlled morally and spiritually. So for the one who lives with eternity in view, there's, there's really no room for indifference to sin. And, and again, we were well taught this week. So, so just to deposit this one more time before you leave today, there's really no room for indifference to sin. There's, there's no room for petting our idols and, and having them over in the corner and, 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 and just keeping them, keeping them happy. There's no room for that in our lives. The battery in our moral and spiritual lives, it always has a full charge. And we don't misplace the charger. Doesn't this inform how we spend our time, what we value, what we think about, what we choose to listen to, what we choose to fill our minds with? If it's true that how we spend our time reveals what we value the most, Maybe some, some, some thought should be given to this. 
Maybe even this morning you can point to an area, maybe the Lord has already revealed it this week, or maybe you're having a fresh experience even this morning that you can point to an area in your life where you're well aware that you are disengaged morally or spiritually. You would categorize yourself as being, being groggy, not being fully awake and engaged. This passage also demands us that we be sober in verse eight. Look quickly. It says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So as those who who belong to the day, as those who are, are awake, we're to be alert like a soldier who's keeping watch as soldiers, we, we need help and protection, don't we? If, if you're going to go into battle, you're not going to go in just like you're dressed right now. You need protection. You need things to guard you and protect you. It is the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation that Paul gives here as, as what we wear to be able to engage in this, what I would say would be a battle time mentality or a battle time thought structure where we, we enter into our daily lives being prepared for the second coming of Jesus in our watchfulness for sin, in our awakeness, in our sobriety, in our, in our self-control by putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation. The breastplate of faith and love, simply it guards our hearts. It's, it's, it's our faith in God, our, our awareness of who he is, our, our ongoing study and belief in him, our, our knowledge and awareness of, of who he is, and then our worship, our, our love for him, our ongoing affection for him, the helmet of hope of salvation, that guides our thinking, the awareness about what Christ has done in the gospel, about our, atone, our, our eternal destiny, what, what we've been saved from, that guards our thinking. It gives us assurance. It gives us hope of what we look forward to for those who may struggle with assurance of salvation this morning. One of the things you want to continually do is regularly read the passages in Scripture that show you what Christ has done and remind you that it's not what you have done, but it's what Christ has done. This helmet of the hope of salvation, it guides our thinking. So what does eternity preparedness look like? With a full battery charge on our moral lives and our spiritual lives, we, we set our hearts and affections on God and we set our hope and our assurance and our salvation. You see how this is not passively waiting, but this is in real time resolving to serve the Lord, not, not a sideline Christianity, but a full-on devotion and service to Jesus then we're given a strong and glorious compulsion for, for all the above this morning. Just look briefly at verse nine. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. You remember the object of our waiting this morning? Sal salvation has been attained through Jesus the object of our waiting. So whether, whether we're awake or asleep, and in this part of the passage, the awakeness or the, the sleepness doesn't refer to alertness or grogginess. It refers to those who are, who are already dead or those who are, are still alive. So whether awake, whether alive, or whether asleep, whether you have already died when, when Christ comes back, we will then live together with him for all eternity. 
John Piper says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you have had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? So if you want to know what quality faith is, a a clear sign of quality faith is simply that you want Jesus. As the object of our our waiting, our longing, or return, because you want to you want to see him face to face so you live in a prepared way now. You wait for him by looking to him now. You wait by seeking him now, by worshiping him now. I wish I could say in my own life that I was always marked by spiritual alertness. I was somewhere around a junior in high school. I'm not sure what day it was exactly, but somewhere around a junior in high school when I when I finally trusted Jesus for salvation. And I wish I could say that, that since that time that I've always been marked in my life by spiritual awakeness, but I would have to say that at times I've been marked by spiritual grogginess. And, and in those times, I've made some bad, some bad choices. Does God redeem those? Does he forgive them? Yes. Has he forgiven me? Yes. For those, but I will tell you this morning, my dear friends, in those times where, where I, I was functioning in, in this mentality without these things in view, without Christ in view, and I made some bad choices, even to this day, I'm still living with some of their consequences. So let that serve as a, as a warning to you this morning. Let's not be spiritually and morally groggy, but let's be those who belong to the day with full-on alertness, ready and prepared for the second coming of the Lord. I'll be concluding in just a few moments here. And Eric, I'm gonna ask you, you wanna go ahead and make your way to the platform. So as I prepare to conclude, I just wanna address a few types of people this morning. I believe there may be some here who have yet to submit your lives to Christ. You have yet to trust Jesus for salvation. Now, whether thinking about the second coming of Jesus this morning is something that makes you comfortable or not, I would plea with you if you have yet to trust Christ, I would plea with you this morning that Jesus is coming back. Make today the day that you give your heart to the Lord. Because like a, like a thief in the night, Jesus will return. He will come at any minute. And my heart for you, aware that eternity is in view here, is that you not be surprised by this event because that would not be a good surprise. Trust Jesus today. For those of you who have already trusted Jesus, listen carefully for just a few more moments. As we've seen this morning, all that's earthly is gonna be passing away with with our lives that is possible to glorify God and be happy at the same time. In fact, these things are, are not in opposition to one another. 
to be truly happy and satisfied, we, we must, dear friends, have our eyes set on Jesus. So for some of these things we've been wrestling with these, these last couple days, these things in our, in our lives that we've held so dearly, we've held so closely to us, Maybe even some of these idols, the, the longing for acceptance. I would just compel you this morning to live in such a way where you are aware that Jesus is the answer to every single one. For those who are longing for acceptance and friendship, Jesus is by far the best, most faithful, most perfect friend you will ever have. For those who are who are longing to, to find meaning in your life, Jesus is the only one who can provide that anchor. And as we, as we think in these ways, may God continually set our eyes, may he shift our gaze and, and lift our heads, make our hearts and our, our minds and our souls prepared as we wait with anticipation for this one Jesus, this, this one who came to deliver us from wrath, and deliver us to himself in eternity. May we wait with anticipation. We've been singing the verse this week. I'm just gonna quote it for you this morning. It says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the love of Christ. I stand, dear friends. Let's, let's delight ourselves in him. Let's, let's serve him. The ways that God has worked this week, let's resolve ourselves to serve him in every possible way all the while keeping our gaze shifted up as we wait with anticipation for him to come and take us into eternity. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this morning as we're sitting here waiting, waiting for you to return. Lord, I fear that many of us many of us would not be marked by those who think about eternity at all. Lord, I pray this morning that as you've just given us a glimpse, a snapshot of of eternity, put it on our radars. Lord, I pray that it would inform the way we think in the here and now, Lord, that we would not be swept away by the momentary, that we would not be swept away in the moment-by-moment -moment existence in this culture that we find ourselves in, but Lord, that, that we would be so aware, Lord, that this life is fleeting, that this world is, is passing away, that you would set our eyes on our eternal hope. We will one day be with you and may we live in such a way that keeps eternity in view Lord so may the things of this earth Lord in our, in our thoughts and our souls and our hearts may they just 
may they just become secondary. May you become the primary focus of all that we live for. Lord, help these truths today. May they help us to serve you better, more faithfully, more worshipfully. We look to you now, Lord, just simply to do your work in us. We thank you. In Jesus' name.